You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, are you still over there in James chapter 5? Okay. Yeah, and actually what happened, oh, it's back down to Jamie's size. Actually, uh, there are several things that the Lord has put in my heart for this morning. And I I am going to take just a minute to um, talk to you about prayer and fasting. Actually, before that, we do this once in a while. I kind of felt like I should. This is important stuff that I'll share with you. My three-year-old daughter asked, where does poo come from? To make it simple, I said, you just had breakfast. Yes, she replied. Well, the food goes into your mouth, down to your tummy. Our, our body takes all the good stuff it needs out of the food. And then what's left goes down to your bottom. And when you go to the toilet, that comes out as poo. She looked very confused and stared at me in stunned silence for a few seconds. And then she asked, and Tigger? Uh, there's a couple, just a couple more since this was brought up today. I signed up for an exercise class and was told to wear loose fitting clothing. If I had any loose fitting clothing, I wouldn't have signed up to begin with. Maybe one more. Sunday school teacher was teaching about the prodigal son. Teacher asked the children, who was the most upset that the younger brother returned? One student's hand shot up and he answered the fattened calf. I like that. I love that. Uh, Last one. By replacing your morning coffee with green tea, you can lose up to 87% of what little joy you still have left in your life. Okay. All right. We're done with that. Yes. James, well, not James chapter five quite yet. I just wanted to give you this little list. Some of you might want to take a picture of this. I just wanted to throw this out there. We're just going to breeze through it and then get into James chapter five. Um, I didn't feel impressed to teach uh, today on fasting, but here are some things that happen in us when we're fasting. The first one is we learn to abide. And we've been talking quite a bit in here about abiding. It means to settle down and make your home in a place. And what happens is when you start to fast food, not fast food, but fast food, okay, your body tells you there is an emergency and you better do something about it right now or I'm going to die. Your, your body starts pressuring you to make a change. And what we do in those moments as that happens, part of what fasting does is it helps us to, to say no and surrender to the Lord and put our spirit back in charge. We learn to settle down in him and not yield uh, to what the flesh wants. And that brings us number two is, we learn to discipline or train the flesh. Our flesh is not supposed to be in charge of our lives. And fasting is just one way, one discipline. And and one of the wonderful things to me about discipline in the Lord, that type of discipline is if we discipline our flesh, that discipline will spread to other areas. You will find it easier to say no to other things or yes to good things. Boy, did a good job on the bad, the hard things and the and the easy things. By the way, the day that Ingrid brings donuts, they're going to be full of kale, and I'm just warning you. They're going to, don't even, don't even touch them. Uh, (laughs) So, 
but uh, so we want to discipline the flesh, and that discipline that we build during a time of fasting will affect other areas. All right, we develop listening ears, we ears that hear, eyes that see. Right, we we develop a greater sensitivity to the Lord and to the Spirit and to His voice. It's, that's part of what happens. Uh, when we have times of fasting and prayer. And again, I really encourage you, even I'd rather see you take a very small section of your week to fast and be able to separate that to the Lord than just not eat but go to work. I mean, you know, I'm not saying call in sick. I'm not, I'm not telling you that. I'm just saying it's, it's more about the quality of the time that, that you have with the Lord, Okay. During a time of fasting, we express devotion, okay? Fasting can't create devotion, but it will express devotion. And the way that happens is as you start to get hungry, you start thinking about how much you love cheeseburgers. You think about how much you love, apparently, donuts. You start thinking about how much you love this and you love that, and you're able to sit there and say, you know what, Lord, I love you more, and I'm choosing you over these things that uh, my body is pressuring me uh, at this at this point to do does that make sense to you all right we practice biblical waiting which we're going to talk more about in just a minute it's watching like a sentry it's it's binding ourselves together with the lord it's it's keeping our eyes open for what he would say we're waiting to hear what he would say again we deepen our sensitivity to his presence and his instruction Okay, we, we need that sensitivity so that we can carry that sensitivity out of a time of fasting. One of the things that happens during our times of corporate worship in here is we can increase our sensitivity to the Lord. Well, we don't want to leave it here. Don't leave your sensitivity here. We want to carry it out so that increasingly we are walking, listening to, and watching what the Lord is doing in our everyday life. All right? In a time of fasting, we practice surrender. We practice saying no to ourselves, no to our flesh, and yes to the Lord. And one thing God's been reminding me of is, you know, we talk a lot about God bringing us revelation from his word. Revelation is only effective when we surrender to it. You can hear the word all day long. You can even have the Lord reveal the word to your heart. It can be, you you know that he's saying something to you. You know it's him talking to you. But if you don't choose to surrender to that word, it doesn't change your life. It doesn't have, it's still the word, but it doesn't impact your life. All right. And then finally, we develop perseverance. And we're going to talk about patience and perseverance this morning if I get to that. So did you find uh, James chapter 5? Good. Good for you. Um, Let's see. Oh, I never started this, did I? I'm so sorry. There, that's what you're supposed to take a picture of, not my desktop or whatever was up there. Oh, that's not what you're supposed to. This thing's been giving me a little bit of a problem this morning. Let's redo this. Sometimes I wonder why I bother. Work machine. That's not us yet. That's somebody else. Can you kick me over if you need to? I don't think it's going to pick it up. I should have restarted this computer. It was acting weird earlier. (laughs) 
Let's see if it works this time. HDMI 2, that's me, I think. Ha <laughs> there you go. Quick snap a picture because we're leaving there. James chapter 5, let's get into this. There's some good things here. And I am going to begin in verse 7. I did pick up, Jamie uh, had suggested we meditate through these verses. I'd already been in some of the ones farther down, so I pulled this up and it tied right in with what I felt like the Lord was saying today. Okay, I can give you that later if you want it. So James chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, and I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible. It says, So wait patiently, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits expectantly for the precious harvest from the land, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. I love this, the way the Amplified reads. Be patient. Strengthen your hearts. This is an instruction to us. Strengthen your hearts. Keep them energized and firmly committed to God because the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain against one another, believers, so that you will not be judged for it. Look, the judge is standing right at the door. Verse 10, as an example, brothers and sisters, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as his messengers and representatives. And verse 11, you know we call those blessed, happy, spiritually prosperous, favored by God, who were steadfast and endured difficult circumstances. You have heard of the patient endurance of Job, and you have seen the Lord's outcome, how he richly blessed Job. The Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So let's go back to verse 7. We're going to break these down uh, just a little bit, but there are two components that are spoken of in these verses, and they are patience and perseverance. The first verse talks to us, the first couple of verses talks to us about patience, and verse 11 talks to us about perseverance. There are two different words in the Greek, and they are two different biblical ideas, and both of them are necessary qualities for us to be able to receive and fulfill what God has for us, to receive his promises and to fulfill his purpose for our lives. We need both. We need patience and we need perseverance. So I just want to give you these these definitions. We've talked a lot about these in the past. Biblical patience is a heart posture of active waiting. It's always active waiting. It is not passive waiting. It is not doing nothing. It is not laying on the spiritual couch. It is an active posture of waiting and watching. All right, while remaining connected, vitally connected to the Lord. Yeah, I have no idea what that tiddling word there is. That was a, that my uh, spell check obviously fixed a mistake and then I cleverly put it up there on the screen for you. Anyway, it's supposed to say while remaining vitally connected to the Lord and continuing to do the last thing he told you to do or what you know to do. So that's patience. It's an active waiting. It's keeping our eyes on the Lord while staying connected to him, not getting disengaged from him. And during that waiting period, during that patience period, and this is really essential to what the scripture is saying to us here, we keep doing the right thing. We keep doing 
the last thing, if you don't know, so many times we don't know what the Lord's saying to us today, keep doing the last thing you know God said to you and you will get there. Or keep doing what you already know to do. Just keep doing the next right, the next biblical, the next godly thing and you will get where you need to be. But biblical patience has that idea within it that we are waiting, but we're busy, okay? Perseverance, okay, Webster's Dictionary tells us it's a continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. Okay, that's good, perseverance. But the biblical definition of this word that's used in the New Testament about perseverance is it is a grace that allows the believer to contend against the various hindrances, persecutions, and temptations, both spiritual and natural, and will in no way allow the Christian to be shaken or weakened or fail to perform his God-given assignment in life. That's the definition of the Greek word that was translated here as perseverance. And what's interesting in these verses is that in verse 11, where that term is used, I think in the Amplified it it was uh, endurance, but it's this term that's usually translated perseverance. It's talking about Job, who was an Old Testament very early. It's the oldest book in the Bible, very early Old Testament character. And it says that he moved in perseverance. He contended for his faith. He had people all around him telling him crazy stuff about God that God rebuked them for at the end of the book and said, you don't know anything, obviously, about who I am. And yet we continue to make doctrines out of those false statements. But anyway, let's not go there today. Um, Job, here's Job. And he's moving in what the New Testament writers tell us is a grace. It is a gift from God. It is an empowering, a divine empowering for a specific purpose. And the New Testament, that was not um, universal in the Old Testament that people could move in this type of perseverance, this courageous endurance, this this standing through persecution, through temptation, through hindrances, and, and just continue to pursue their purpose in God. That The New Testament writers, if you read um, in the Scripture, but you read the, the New Testament fathers that, that wrote uh, about the, the um, first century church, it becomes really apparent that the first century church sort of discovered this grace working in them. It was something that came um, because of Jesus going to the cross and being filled with the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden they found that, man, they could be, I mean, people literally were being burned at the stake and were singing praises while they were on fire. That was hupomene. That was perseverance. That was, it was a grace. It was a divine power. And it's so interesting that in the Old Testament, we have examples of some people sometimes moving in a grace that really didn't belong to them. They were taking something out of the next covenant by faith, and they were able to walk in. It's the same thing. I mean, uh, the prophetic prophecy is across the board today, but in the Old Testament, we had certain people anointed to prophesy. There were You see that throughout Scripture. There were things that were that were pulled from 
the next covenant by faith and they walked and that's what this is. But in the New Testament, it is something that is in us. And when pressure comes against us, it rises up within us. If we'll just, again, approach that by faith and understand we can persevere. We cannot just, it is more than endurance. It is a, an ability to courageously stand and move forward regardless of what's coming against us. And we do it by divine power, not by willpower. Does that make sense to you? So it's a, it's a wonderful, powerful ability uh, that the Lord can give us, okay? So in verse 7 here, it says, Wait patiently, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The idea here is, you know, how many of us are still waiting for the coming of the Lord? Five or six. Awesome. We are, the rest of you have already been raptured. We're just, no. Uh, so, the, so this applies to us, right? While you're waiting, some of the translations say, while you're waiting for the coming of the Lord, be patient, wait patiently, be patient, all right? As while we're waiting. And then he uses that example that Boyd talked about. He, he points us to farmers. Do it like a farmer. Live like a farmer, okay, who waits expectantly for the precious harvest of the land. So there's something precious in front of that farmer. That farmer is living with the hope of harvest. He is living with a vision for the harvest. And he's doing everything. And I grew up around farmers, few ranchers, but mainly farmers, grain farmers, that type of farmers. They worked all the time. And in the winter, when it was bitter cold, they're in the machine shed fixing the machines. When it's, you know, they, they get the real busy time of planting, and then there's the summertime, they're dealing with weeds, they're dealing with rocks, they're dealing with pieces of land they left fallow that year. Again, they're dealing with machinery, they're dealing with their animals, they work all the time. It's not a, okay, be like the farmer, plant your seed and then sit back and wait. There are two elements there. One is they have a vision of harvest. They have a vision of fulfillment of promise. And secondly, they do what's necessary during the time between the planting and the harvest and between the harvest and the planting on the other side of the year, they do what's necessary because there's always something necessary. So again, this term patient or waiting, it doesn't describe just, hey, do one thing and then sit back for six months and wait for, uh, for it to come. In this particular context, this Greek word means to wait for an appropriate season or moment before taking action. To wait for an appropriate season. Again, our eyes are on the Lord. And he tells us when to move. To endure patiently with a good attitude and a godly focus, as opposed to losing faith, giving up on the fulfillment of a promise. This quality of patience helps us to stand, to stay busy, to do the last thing the Lord showed us to do, rather than giving up. If God has spoken to you, and that's, that's one of the things, you know, tying back into fasting and prayer. A lot of times, you know, we say, well, I've really prayed about this. I've been praying about this. I've been praying about this. But did you listen? Did you hear? Did God say something? And is that where you're praying from? Is out of what the Lord has said? 
that's so important to us. And when we've heard from God, there is never a time to quit. There is just never a time to give up and quit. If you have a word from God, our responsibility, honestly, is to be stewards, like those farmers are stewards of the land, to be stewards over what God is speaking in the earth today, to see the fruit come from that, that can bless many, many, many people. So in the midst of all of this, again, it's until the Lord comes. All right, so, so that means there's really no place where this stops. And it says that they're waiting. The farmer here, it says, they're waiting until the land receives the former and latter rains, right? That speaks of the part of whatever it is you're believing God for, wherever it is he's calling you to. There's a part of that that is your responsibility. I don't mean that apart from God, but we do need to incubate his word. We do need to uh, walk in what he's showing us. We do need to pray over where he's taking us. We, We have a part in this, right? But there is a part that only God can do. And this former and latter rains, Israel got rain. The former rain was in the fall. The latter rain, because they're, they're backwards as far as their seasons go. The former rain was in the, in the spring, in the fall. Their, their spring is fall. You know what I'm saying? Their former rain was in the fall. The latter rain was in the spring. And both of them were necessary to bring forth a harvest. And they couldn't make that happen. Does that make sense to you? So there's a part of the fulfillment of promise that only God can do. And to me, that's, that's part of the thing is being able to separate that and recognizing that, yes, I have an assignment to pray. I have an assignment to speak the word. I have these assignments in my life, but I can't make God's vision come to pass. There is a part of it that only God can do. At the same time, there's another part of it that he will refuse to do without your participation. So we've got to be able to know him enough to be able to separate those things and to know there are times where we keep doing what we're doing. We keep speaking the word. We keep doing what he set us here to do, but I can't force the result. There's part of it that only God can do. Does that make sense to you? I find comfort in that. Okay, let's just, uh, we only have a few minutes left. Let's just try to work through these next couple of verses. So then he does. He comes along and he says, you too, all right? You too, you do this too. Be patient. Strengthen your hearts. I'm just figuring out which Bible I'm in here. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Keep them energized and firmly committed to God because the coming of the Lord is near. That is from the new version of the Amplified Bible. The old version is also good, which is what's on your screen, actually. So you also must be patient. Establish your hearts. Strengthen and confirm them in the final certainty, for the coming of the Lord is very near. So the implication here is that we are in control of whether our hearts remain fixed and established in the Lord, rather than we us thinking that God has to do that. God needs 
to fix my heart in him. No, it's telling us, you set your heart. Colossians um, chapter 3, verse 1 tells us, you set your heart, you set your thoughts, you set your mind on Christ who's seated in heavenly places, not on earthly things. All right? Our, our, our heart will follow, all right, where we set our focus, what we make our treasure, what we value, where we set our eyes, where we direct our thoughts. How many of you know that your thoughts are yours? All right, they're yours. Our thoughts don't just come, and I know sometimes it feels that way, but it's like, oh, I don't have any control over my thoughts. Yes, you do. You just haven't developed it. You've not developed the habit of taking thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ. You've not developed the habit of taking thoughts captive and replacing them with the word of God and the promises of God and what he has said. So then it feels like my thoughts are out of control. Your thoughts are not out of control. They are under your control, but it is a habit and an ability that we need to develop. And where we set our thoughts, where we set our value, our, our hearts, Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Our hearts, when we put God first, our hearts will be established in him. But there again, that's one of the things we have to do. It's one of the things we have to um, take control of in our own lives. And so it says, do this because the Lord's coming is near. Now we make jokes a lot about, you know, Jesus is coming soon. But God's version of soon is way different than our version of soon. And that's true. But. Jesus also told us, and our message for others is the kingdom of heaven is near. It means it's right, it's right here. It doesn't even mean it's approaching. It means it is upon us. It is here. And so the idea here is the Lord's coming is soon. It is upon us. It is here. And the presence of the Lord is with us. We are never without him. And because of that, it says, establish your hearts. Because of that revelation, it says, establish your hearts. Set them on him. Don't Don't let them move. And then I love this in verse 9. I love where he goes from there. Set your hearts, right? And then he says, what? Do not complain against one another, believers, so that you won't be judged. Isn't that interesting? He jumps off from all of this. Be patient. Be like the farmer. Sow seed. Reap the harvest. You know, all of that. And then he goes to, so stop complaining about one another. Why? Because when we get impatient, we start pointing fingers. We start deciding it's, it's the government's fault. It's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's the church's fault. It's mom's fault. It's dad's fault. It's somebody's fault, right? Well, you're right about that. But we won't point out who that person might be that's at fault this morning, okay? Okay. Uh, we get, do you get what I'm saying? Stop complaining. We go right to offense. And the devil will eat your lunch with offense. Offense is still, I, I believe, his most successful tool against the church. And I don't care. It doesn't matter what has been done to us. We can adjust relationships. We can do what we need to do without entering into offense without allowing offense and accusation blame it's their fault it's just not a healthy place to go period doesn't matter whose fault it is 
Jesus can fix it, all right? So we need to stay out of accusation of blame. And we go there when we become impatient, when we become discouraged. All of a sudden, we start looking around. And sometimes this takes months and years, but our whole focus goes to who's at fault? Why is my life not working right? Instead of looking to what the Lord has done and what he has provided and what he's calling. Does that make sense to you? Okay, it apparently made sense to James. All right, so let's just jump down to uh, verse 11, actually. Verse 10 is good in there, but... um, You know, I'm I'm still on verse 9. You know, he says, Don't complain against one another so that you will not be judged. The judge is standing right at the door. When we start blaming, when we start sowing accusation, we reap accusation. When we sow forgiveness, when we give each other a break. Do you know that all of the people on the earth are human beings like you? We're all human beings. We all make mistakes. We all blow it. Sometimes we're downright mean. No question about it. Broken people hurt people hurt people. There's, it's, it's absolutely true. Hurt people hurt other people. So I think one of the most important things we can do in that place when we are hurt, when we are attacked, when we are, is to begin to pray for. Jesus said we could pray for our enemies. And it doesn't mean pray that they be destroyed. It doesn't mean pray that they get sick. It doesn't mean when we find ourselves taking joy in somebody else's problem, Man, look at look at your heart. We we can't be there. And I've been there. It'll come up real quietly because I try to keep it away, but real you'll just have a little smile in there, you know, and I know that is really displeasing to the Lord. God never takes pleasure. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. That's who we need to be. All right, let me wrap this up. So then we get down to Verse 11, and again, he says, You know how we call those blessed who were steadfast, who endured. That's, that's all that word, uh, perseverance. You've heard of the perseverance of Job. You have seen the Lord's purpose, how richly he blessed him. How richly he blessed him in the end, inasmuch as the Lord is full of pity and compassion and tenderness. Okay, so Job, again, was not just patient. He was persevering. And most of us know that story. I mean, the the devil attacked him, took away his family, took away all of his stuff. And then if you read through the book, he started getting surrounded by friends that started telling him, yeah, it was God that did all this to you and started making all kinds of, they sat around and tried to figure out, just like we do, why is this happening? Why is it this way? And and in that book, there are so many statements made about God that have been picked up and made into Christian doctrine when at the end of the book, the Lord came and rebuked Job and rebuked his friends and said, and he, and he started asking, okay, since you know so much about me, you know, how does creation work? How does, you know, how does, how does the sun, this is, I'm just making this up. How does the sun function? How does the, you know, he just started asking him these questions. Since you're so smart, 
tell me this. And it was very evident, you know, that the point was, you guys don't know what you're talking about and you don't know my heart. And he rebuked him for those things. So my point today is, as we're standing and believing God, for what he has spoken and what he has called, whether it's for your personal life, for your family, for this nation, for this community, whatever it might be, whatever God is saying, for your business, whatever he's, he's saying, as you stand and as there's a period of waiting, there will be questions that arise in you and you need to take those to the Lord and always remember his nature. Always remember who he is. Always remember that Jesus is the exact image of the Father. What we see in him is is the Father's heart. And when and you can be surrounded by good, well-meaning friends that start to feed you all kinds of stuff about God that you don't see in the Lord Jesus. Set that stuff aside. And I think that's part of persevering, is being able to stand on what the Lord has revealed about you, no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what people want to say, no matter what, pe- and, I, and I mean, yeah, you need to have some people in your life that do know the Lord and are walking with him that'll come alongside you and lift you up. But you know what I'm talking about. When you're going through something difficult and people start telling you that, well, you know, God made you sick, God did this, God did that, and you know it's not right, you know it's not the heart of God, You don't have to go with that. Part of persevering is staying on what the Lord has said. Does this make sense to you? All right, let's just stand up and pray this morning. We are well out of time. Did you have a good time today? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we're so grateful, Lord, for everything you've poured out today from beginning to end, as you always do. We're so grateful. Lord, your word says that when we gather together, you will equip us to go out there and be the church, to go out and do the things that you are calling us to do. Every time we gather, you have said, Lord, that we will be equipped to do our work of the ministry. And so, Lord, we recognize today and we believe today you've equipped us for things that are coming, things that are coming this week and things that are coming months or years in the future, but you have equipped us. And we choose to take hold of what we've heard, of the, the especially the things that you, Holy Spirit, uh, really highlighted to us. We take hold, we treasure those things. We will not let them go. We will not let them be stolen from us. And we ask you to continue to incubate those truths and grow them up in us. And Lord, we we just want to go out there and bear fruit for you. And we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's say this on the count of three, and we mean it. Jesus is Lord. We're declaring this. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.